0: Do we see you at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Beusel, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Heal, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. Did you know most farmers never dug a hole to look at their soil or smell their soil? How can we change that and create a quote-unquote army of farmers who are super curious, and how do we empower them to keep asking themselves why, why, why? What role can tech play here, and how can it lead to the much-needed mindset shift to a more regenerative one, seeing the potential of abundance not be hindered by competitive thinking? This is the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast, Investing as if the Planet Mattered where we talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land and our sea, grow our food, what we eat, where and consume. And it's time that we as investors, big and small, and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. To make it easy for fans to support our work, we launched our membership community. And so many of you have joined us as a member. Thank you. If our work created value for you, and if you have the means, and only if you have the means, consider joining us. Find out more on gumroad.com slash investing in Regen Ag. That is gumroad.com slash investing in Regen Ag or find the link below. So welcome to another episode. Today we have Abby Rose back on the podcast and we're welcoming for the first time Nicole Masters, who is the founder of Integrity Soils. Welcome both, Abby and Nicole.
1: Thanks for having us. (gasps)
0: And... Exactly. We have had Abby, um, don't worry if we're talking at the same time, we're, we're recording a different track, so nothing happens. We have had <laughs> Abby before on the show, but for anybody that didn't listen to that that episode, of course, I will link it below. You joined us for a very interesting webinar on the role of technology in regeneration as well, uh, which was two years ago. And we had you in 2019, so three years ago on the show. A lot has happened. If, if you have to briefly or slightly, not so briefly, introduce yourself um, what do we, what do you normally say when you, I don't know, meet somebody in the subway or somewhere in, in an elevator and you have uh, a long elevator, ride, right? Let's say five minutes. What do you, what do you say? How do you introduce yourself? And then we get into what, what are you busy with uh, here at the end, end or beginning of spring in 2022?
2: Yeah. Well, I guess I always start with the fact that, um, my family started farming when I was in my late teens. Um, and through visiting the farm, um, I became totally obsessed with farming, basically. <laughs> um, because before that, I, was, I, I actually wasn't interested at all. And I, I thought it was sort of boring and nothing to do with me. Um, and I'm, now it's my life. Um, and why did I become so interested? It was because I realized that every decision we make on the farm not only affects us, but it affects everyone around us and not, and really it affects everyone on the globe because we're making decisions about how much, you know, how do we graze our animals and therefore how much carbon is sequestered in the soil? Um, you know, how much rain are we capturing? So all of these things made me really realize that actually farming and farmers are one of the main interaction points of humanity with the natural world. Um, and so, yeah, I became very involved. Um, and through that, um, my family's farm is in Chile, um, and so we were kind of, you know, trying to farm organically. Um, we had olives, almonds, pistachios, or, oh, yeah, now we have that, and um, some vines. And we were, there are just so many questions all the time. It's like, oh, no, now what do we do? There's a new problem, like, and who do you ask? Um, and so out of that, two things came about, um, which are the main things I spend my life on today. One of them is Farmarama which is a podcast showing the voices of the regenerative farming movement. Um, and that really was about like going out and being able to ask people like, what are you doing about this um, on the ground? Like, how, you know, who are the pioneers here? And we definitely had Nicole on there a few times, um, you know, giving us insights into how to buy our prime seeds and very practical things as well as storytelling. Um, and then also at the time, We didn't have any way to monitor the crops or trees. Um, And so I had studied physics and I was able to code. So I built some tools for using on our farm an app. Um, And then that kind of our neighbors started using it. And that has developed into our company, Vita Cycle Tech, which is um, we offer a soil mentor, sector mentor and work mentor. Um, And those are all apps focused on, Helping farmers in the regenerative transition, Um, particularly the Sector Mentor is focused on vineyards and uh, orchards or agroforestry, and then Soil Mentor um, is very focused on soil health and biodiversity, so more general farming, Um, and Work Mentor is on-farm worker management for small to medium-scale farms, Um, and so we use all three of those on our farm in Chile, and then um, I yeah, it's a super privilege to work with farmers around the world um, and amazing, well, partner with Nicole um, to really bring some of those insights um, about what, you know, what does it look like to build good soil health and um, how can you uh, keep your vines healthy using the least inputs possible? Um, You know, the soil first approach is really embedded in everything we do.
0: Super and yeah, we're gonna unpack. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're gonna unpack more of that, obviously. But first, let's welcome Nicole for the first time here on the show. Um, definitely feels like we have a, a very famous person among ourselves. And um, <laughs> what brought you? Because I don't know the origin of your soil story. Let's say of the origin of your story. What brought you to agriculture and and food and go so deep, literally and figuratively, into into the world of soil?
1: Well, thank you for asking that question, Kern, and. I- you know, I believe everybody has these originating stories and um, sometimes I wonder if it's just been in my DNA forever. If you ask my parents, they'll talk about stories of, you know, they can't find me and I'll be in the garden eating slugs and snails and, you know, I always had that obsession with, with soil under my fingers. But I think as well as a New Zealander, we're very connected to the rural community more than many other societies. Um, you know, all my well, different relatives were certainly farming. I was brought up as a military brat, so Air Force, you know, traveling a lot, spending a lot of time in aircraft, looking down, and just being incredibly concerned. I mean, it's some of my earliest memories is seeing the scale of erosion in New Zealand and being really concerned as a a little person, like, where's that going? And what's it doing to the rivers? And and then Mount St. Helens erupted when I was five, and my nana subscribed me to National Geographic and just being like, wow, we are so small in all of this and how quickly nature can just overwhelm everything. And then National Geographic tracked that recovery of those landscapes and it's like, you know, nature is so resilient and yeah, it's just, it has been a journey that's just kept evolving and evolving. Like I never had in my mind, I'm going to be an agroecologist when I grow up. And in fact I was an agroecologist for eight years before I realized it had a name. Like, I just was working in this field working with uh, farmers and ranchers and connecting them to soil and thinking about ecological context because that's my background and then go oh wow this is actually a thing. Uh but one of my like you have these pivotal moments and one of them happened in Hong Kong. So we left we lived in Hong Kong for 7 years or I did my family was there for like 14 and I remember just looking at all of the soot and the poor air quality and the plastic bags that were just everywhere and thinking we will live in our own filth if we don't interrupt the pattern what does it take to interrupt a behavioral pattern so that this doesn't become normalized so it's become very formative for me in terms of I do feel like I can be a bit of a disruptor or a paradigm shifter and and how do we how do we shift forward because it, it, it's not going to take complacency and business as usual so yeah there's there's so many stories I could share, like everybody, but yeah.
0: And and what do you spend, I mean, except for being on the podcast, but let's say your 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 days on or your work on, what is what is keeping you busy um, and now in, in April 2022? What are you spending most of your time on? And we'll unpack, obviously, the Regen platform and you working with VitaCycle, mm-hmm. with but beyond that mm-hmm. or next to that, what, what is keeping you busy?
1: So our core work, Since 2003 has been education and actually even before that, um, but 2003 I formalized, you know, making, having a company. So education is definitely the backbone of what we do. And what we're doing right now is we're coaching the coaches. So people that are interested in agroecology and coaching or consulting. Uh, we have a five month long program and that just finished yesterday. So I'm still kind of spinning from the impact that that program's had on my life and the impact that I see it having on people. Like, we spent all yesterday just crying, like, and crying with joy of like, what is now possible for people in the world. And it was one of the women who's incredibly talented and pretty well known. So I won't necessarily mention her name, but she was saying, you know, I thought I'd come to this course and learn more about you and what you do and the work that you do. And she's like, what I came to the course and learned about was myself. And, you know, if we're not transforming this piece, which is that internal space and our mindset and our paradigms, then real change isn't going to happen on the ground. And so that was the driver behind the program is, yeah, we're going to look at the technical aspects of, you know, how does this microbe in the soil affect the uptake of this nutrient to the plant? How does that affect plant? And and in human health, like we, we, we really delve into the technical side, but woven through all of that is who are we being in this space? So I've been absolutely blown away by the success of that program. And I feel very heartened today and tired.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. And will you be repeating that program? It sounds like it was a first time or a first one, like the impact it had, does yeah. that I mean, naturally raises the question, is it going to come back or is it done?
1: Because I haven't dealt with my world of overwhelm, um, I'm we're running it again in another couple of months. So then the next intake shuts on the 15th of May and we will do one more in the US. And then next year we're looking to Australia um, and then probably in 2024, we'll be looking at Europe. It's it's a it's a big undertaking, you know. Every person on that program gets an individual coach that they're working through processes. Um, it's not something that we can just throw out in the world and say, "Hey, you you do this and and, and walk away from it. it." It is incredibly intensive.
0: And then you find time next to that, and I want to bring in Abby in yeah. as well on like when did this Regen platform um, started to. Let's say started to fermentate, and started to seed or sprout. Like what? What was the? uh, Because you've you've been building these these apps and tech side, and that felt like maybe it wasn't enough. Like I mean, you could have grown that for for a long time, I think. And then you said, "Let's let's bring on another layer. Let's add another layer to that." Why did you decide to do that? And then why did you decide, or how did you ended up partnering with Nicole? doesn't seem like she has nothing to do, so it was also, <laughs> like, how do, yeah. you, how, do you, how do you build that?
2: Yeah, well, um, I mean, I read Nicole's book called For the Love of Soil, and I would highly recommend it to be read by anyone who's interested in, in this at all, um, because it's, well, one, it's extremely entertaining, um, but two, it is an amazing balance of, like, the personal and the technical. Um, and so I think that, You know, whether even if you know nothing about regenerative agriculture, you can really enjoy it and you can learn a heck of a lot. Um, So reading that um, also, Nicole has a strong emphasis on digging holes. Um, And that's something that I have learned. That's the way I've learned about soil. You know, I dug my first hole like in 2017. That's embarrassingly recently um but that was the beginning of my journey (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) but um yeah that was the beginning of my journey into learning like what soil really is it's one of those things I'd heard everyone talk about it you know I've been involved in this world for quite a few years before that but I'd always been like oh yeah soil is really important but that was where my knowledge ended um and then I started to dig some holes and I read Nicole's book and started to piece together all this information about this world below our feet and how much you can learn from looking at it. Um, and so that was why when Nicole like really built on that knowledge of how much you can learn from looking at it um, and some of the thing, you know, distinctions that she drew out in her book. So I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to talk to this person. This is incredible. Um, and so, yeah, I can't remember who introduced us, but we had an initial chat. Um, so and Williams, I think. I think. Oh yeah, maybe. And I, and I think what really got us connected, I guess, at the time was that actually, um, I brought up the feminist business principles, which I've definitely talked about before. (laughs) Um, and, uh, we talked through them and Nicole, you really encouraged me to move, you know, how can we not have them be about gender, um, but actually have them be about something everyone can see themselves stepping into. And Yeah, so that's, we've moved into the regenerative business principles. Um, But I think that conversation, like, you know, when you start talking about things like the first principle is you have a body, when you start talking at that level, it was like a level of connection that it just, you you know, if someone, if you're going to get on with someone at that point. (laughs) Um, So we just really connected, I think.
1: I think of you as my sister from another mister, Yeah. (laughs) which is... It it was certainly an instant connection. And I think too, we had a consulting version of an app that only the consulting team was using. And the platform we were using was quite clunky. So Abby really helped to resolve an issue that we had. And, you know, we transferred all of that consulting level information into Abby's platform. And then we're like, this is far too overwhelming for. Most producers who are not interested in that level of delving in. And then that kept exploring this conversation around how do we simplify this and make it really, really valuable? And if you had to just choose 10 indicators, what would they look like? And then what does it mean? And then what potentially can we do? And I think that's the missing with a lot of data is it's just data for data's sake. And people just have piles of information that doesn't either doesn't inform the future or it lags too far behind to give you anything that offers real value. And I know people that have like 30 years of monitoring data on their places and it it really means nothing. It's just a navel-gazing exercise. So Abby really takes that to the next level.
2: Yeah. And so well,
0: why – now go ahead. Go ahead.
2: No, I was going to say together, Like that's what the Soil Mentor Regen platform is really. And that that's where things get serious, I feel like, because it's one thing being able to go and look at a hole and record how many earthworms there are. Um, but the missing the next level, which is what the regen platform brings and what Nicole brings, essentially, is like, OK, your earthworm number is 20. You know, is that pretty good? OK, or not so good compared to what we would expect from your soil type, your climate? And what might you do about it? Like what questions might you ask yourself from a regenerative standpoint? Um, and I think, you know, the taking people that step further two steps further really is a huge leap compared to like where most things leave you, especially with data. Um, so I think, yeah, it's been really exciting to see how that's empowering farmers kind of to, to start to, to take themselves to the next step to a certain extent.
0: Yeah. I think that triggering that question and, and getting rid of the data for data's sake, I mean, you can, you can, drone your 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 property all you want or set everything to the labium. but if it if it doesn't influence any decision after or it triggers any question or it's it's a very expensive hobby. And mm. so how do you trigger that? How do you take that from these ten indicators? We can walk through them. I mean they're on the website. I, I definitely put the link below. So you had to to simplify it to ten. How difficult was it? Let's first of all start with the question. Like how difficult is it for you, Nicole, or you both, Abby and Nicole to pick 10 like what was the, the what was the long list and, and how did we end up with 10 of uh-huh. these and and why are these let's say the best proxies or the best web that captures hopefully the 8020 or 9010 or whatever of what we want to see
1: yeah it's it's a really good question because there's so much to look at and i think sometimes people don't realize how dynamic and how many measures there are for soil but a lot of them are inter- interrelated. So if we take like aggregate aggregate stability or what we call the slaking test as an example, how that little crumb, it seems so insignificant, how does that hold together? Tells you so much about greenhouse gas emissions, your nitrogen cycle, um, sedimentation in waterways, um, the ability for water and air and gas to diffuse through a soil. And you get that just from this one little crumb. So for me, there's a couple of that. These absolutely have to be on the list, and then we—I think we got down to maybe like eight that we were really clear that we could agree on these, and then what would be some of the extras and like trying to go, oh, maybe we need twelve, Abby, but you know, <laughs> we, we we really got there, and it was fun. Yeah, I, did, I didn't find we we didn't have too much challenges with it. The challenges, no. Abby, then, trying to pin me down.
0: Why <laughs> <laughs> didn't you allow her to have twelve, like one for every month, like something? No, 10, 10 is a good no. number.
2: Yeah, I think, so one of the experiences we do have, you know, over the years with Soil mentor, um and, and Soil Sector mentor and working with farmers in the field is like, there is, you know, simplicity and ease are important. And I know, you know, Nicole knows that as well. Um, but it's like, it is such a different perspective to the consultant or the coach coming in. Uh, what a farmer will actually do in the field. Obviously, you know, they have so many other priorities all the time. Um, so keeping it to 10, it just. So why not eight?
0: I mean, if you already got to eight.
2: <laughs> well, from my experience, you could say, why not one? Um, and then you get down the path of like carbon as the sole indicator of soil health. Um, so we do, you do need to find a balance um, of not oversimplifying things. Um, so we were trying to keep the complexity there whilst also um, having some form of simplicity. I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Nicole?
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to make it still give really good insights, like one of the things we created, which I haven't seen before, was this idea of the bricks barometer. So BRICS is a measurement of how well is a plant capturing sunlight energy, which is the very purpose of being on the planet. It's why we can live here. Um, but what we find is most systems are very disabled as such, dysfunctional. Um, and what you find is whoever's capturing the most sunlight energy is often the plants that are least desired. So you could call these weeds, for instance. Um, but what we find is those plants will be so we can measure this using a refractometer and looking at bricks as a measurement of sugars and dissolved solids. And whoever's got the highest amount of those materials is then able to pump more sugars out the roots, is then able to influence the microbial community around those roots. And so what we find is people have a higher sunlight capture in the plants that they don't want and very low in, the, in their commercial crops or what they do want, and so the wider that gap, the more of an indicator is that this system is dysfunctional, that who's, who you are farming for are the weeds. Who you're farming for is disease. Who you're farming for is a lack of nutrient density in the crops that you're producing. So, but we were, I was excited to see that being developed. I think that's a good resource.
0: So how, like, these 10 indicators, how easy are they for uh, a general farmer? There's no general farmer, but for a, a general person to, to do that, is it literally I dig a hole and then I do it? I mean, you're now mentioning bricks meters. Like how complex is it to, or what's the barrier to to entry in this? Like I want to start, I'm downloading the app. I become a customer or client or partner, whatever we call it. And then what do I need to 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 get the 10 or can I get eight right out of the gate and I need to order some other things to, to do 10 or do, do I need to ship something somewhere like what what's the process for for a, a newbie let's say
2: so actually the majority of them you can do with just a spade um so and we've done it that way on purpose the idea is that it's easy to go and do out in the field Um, the refractometer is in all your fields, I'm assuming,
0: like you want to do it regularly, regularly and spaciously regularly, let's say over, if you have a larger farm to, to see differences or would you recommend one? No, you would recommend multiple I'm imagining.
2: Yeah. I mean, different metrics have different frequencies. Like the BRICS barometer, you could, I don't know what Nicole would say, but you could easily do that every week. Um, and, and potentially learn something from it. I don't know. Nicole's definitely better to answer that question than me. (laughs) um but in terms of yeah the the only test that you have to send away to a lab is actually the carbon stocks um and that's because obviously carbon stocks are really important they're part of the picture um and so we did want to include one lab-based test in there um so you can you know it's getting this whole picture um but the majority of the tests are yeah just go out and get started i would say Mm. And so no, there's, no, there's no barrier
1: through, yeah. to that in terms of you don't have to have that equipment and you don't have to send it to the lab to still start these processes and you might go, all right, all I have time for is this one measure. Well, just take that one measure and you're still starting to build up your knowledge bank as such. And producers are really busy um, and and um, You know, it depends what scale they're on. They don't always have the time for things like this. So just being able to set aside that time. And it is something really fun. I really encourage producers to go out with their family. You know, counting worms with your kids. Ah, so fun. (laughs) We were, uh, Abby, you'll like this, we were out in the field uh, two days ago, and we saw something we've never seen before, which I always love, but they were dung beetles that had um, mites all over them, like all over them, and I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know if this is a good thing. I was wondering, are they decay mites? Is that what they are? sure enough they are so we, we googled it um, and these dung beetles actually have these little hitchhikers who will go with them to the next cow pie and then they are eating um, root feeding nematodes and pest organisms in the soil which is really really cool um, but just even to do something like that you want to watch a bunch of adults squeal like little kids when we, we discover something like that it was so fun
0: Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com course or in the show notes description below. and then how do you capture that in one of the 10 no i don't think it was a question it was one of the ones that was left out yeah but for good reasons it's
1: the curiosity right is that i've been with producers that that really value soil health have never dug a hole or things like dung beetles you know they've never even seen well you have five different species of dung beetles and, and this is what they look like and to see people just light up and connect more deeply and i think for me that's a big part of software is that we can actually use that as a behavioral change tool to to connect because people will dig a hole and they go well it looks like dirt and I don't know what I'm looking at and so <laughs> yeah you dug a hole uh, but actually let's let's keep building on this educational space and we we can't be everywhere at all times so actually having um, a process that works people through that educational portion is so exciting
0: and captures the data and stores mm-hmm. it so you can go back in time. I mean, then it becomes interesting to to see the lines going somewhere, or at least the, the directions, if you you dug the hole more or less at the same location, of course, not exactly the same. And and then, I mean, you're capturing as a farmer, these 10 or whatever the number is at that point you had time for, um, but like a robust set of, of data. Um, how do we make sure it's not data for data's sake? Like, how do we then influence the the farming practice or decisions that I need to take, um, to, to go out in the field tomorrow. Like how do, how do we translate that? Because that, that sounded like your ambition to make sure it changes something on the field, except that there's a whole, like what, what does, how do you influence management decisions that, that farmers need to take, um, daily basically with the data, they in this case capture themselves.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, The app, I would say, you know, the app is there to take you so far. So it will basically show you a soil health scorecard. So you see all of your results in a scorecard and each result also will have a color behind it. So it shows you like, oh, look, actually an earthworm score of 12 in this type of soil for this type of climate is actually in the red. Um, And then you can click into that. And that's where it's like Nicole pops up. (laughs) maybe one day we'll have it so we have a little mini nicole video like like a halo like a halo
0: (laughs) a hologram on your field she's there point your Um, point your phone now to the field and nicole will show up
2: yeah We're, we're working on it but for now um it's just it's text-based nicole um so the you you get to see your visually you're seeing colors in terms of like where do you sit as, as a benchmark you also get to see where do you how do you compare with all the other farmers on the platform who have your soil and your climate essentially so you will then see um it's just like a box and whisker plot so it's not um You can't tell much about other people, but you can certainly tell how do you compare with all the other results coming in. Um, And then the next bit is, is where Nicole then explains this result. So, you know, this earthworm number may be because of X, Y and Z, and then also literally feeds some questions that my understanding is that Nicole, you would be asking, or one of your coaches Mm -hmm. that just came off the create course would be asking at that point. It's like, okay, well, what Mm -hmm. are the questions to ask right now? And so, yeah, I guess the app feeds you that.
1: Yeah. Cause if we, if we step back a, a little bit or up, what we are going through right now is an evolution an evolution in consciousness an evolution in how we work with landscapes, education, health, everything's shifting right now. And we're working away from this expert model, which is, I have the answer and you should listen to me. And what, what that has created is. And I'm selling
0: your inputs usually. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So, so farmers have been trained to. Uh, lose that curiosity, lose the art, lose the joy. And here, someone's going to come and tell you, you need to put on 200 kilograms because that's the answer. And so very much this app is, have you considered this? Have you thought about this? Has this this been happening to continue to open up the observation and open up the critical thinking? Because that's what's required. We don't need people out there who have the answer and the technology that's going to save the day because that's what we've been living through for the last 120 years and that model doesn't work. So how do, we, well, how do we create adaptive creative thinkers? And, and that's part of what this app does is just kind of feed into your curiosity.
0: So basically by triggering questions based on very real examples, mm-hmm. amount of earthworms, bare earth, percentage, et cetera, et cetera, bricks, barometer, you're trying yeah. to trigger curiosity instead of giving One answer which you can't Mm -hmm. because that's what we've been trying for 120 or probably more years and that's impossible but you're basically trying to trigger somebody nudge somebody to keep asking questions until they figure out the answer that fix that that works in their context and then hopefully keeps using the the app and capture the the changes in these these indicators and thus Mm -hmm. uh, you you do do you monitor that well like do you like okay maybe it's this this is too early but like what where virtual nicole text-based nicole is is triggering the, the right questions like what's the, the response sort of there like people click through or how do, how do you know it's working um or do you know if people keep using the app they they are happy clients like how, how do we know this this is leading to uh, because it is using technology in this way and it's not having uh, uh, one of the consultants or one of the coaches that you've trained in the field it is there's a layer in between which is maybe more powerful and maybe less powerful. Like how do we know this is, this is working and, and creates this army of, uh, of curiosity?
2: Well, I mean, partially I would say, yeah, it's about people using the app and continuing to use it. Obviously, you know, then that it's creating value. Um, but I would also say that we only, so it only was released in January for the first time. So it's very much an evolving learning process. Um, and, I actually personally see it as very much, and I I think Nicole sees it the same. Like, it's about taking farmers that extra step, but I do still, like, from my experience of people going through the regenerative transition, actually, the coach is a hugely important role, probably for quite different things than people use consultants for today. So it's not Mm -hmm. to tell you what to apply, but it's to be there to, like, support you through your questioning, essentially. Um, So the app will start with these questions, it gives you some links, you can go like explore more, learn more, watch videos, read information. And then the coach is there to be like, uh, your sounding board to talk to to help guide you through that process and give you the confidence you need. Because I do think it's not fair to just give an app to a farmer Give him some questions and then be like, "Okay, off you go. Good luck." <laughs> good luck. Um, but that's, I think, the difference
0: between a coach and a consultant, like that, the coach yeah. will a good coach, I think, will never tell you what to do, but will trigger enough questions that you will figure out your path, and and will be there with you or give you enough confidence to to ask those questions to begin with. Uh-huh. And and is it was it before you? I mean, you mentioned Nicole that it it was part of the work you already did in an, in another app. Like, was it a a huge work like to to sort of text like capture you or capture your coach and your style in in text and to make it easily accessible and not overwhelming but also not too simplified like how difficult was that to to go from here are 10 things and here are how you can measure these and how you can have these indicators to okay let's let's trigger people with questions and make sure they they mm-hmm. hit a nerve because then then we get somewhere
1: yeah there's kind of two parts because part of it was really exciting in terms of making the implicit explicit how do we take some of these um observations for me which feel very intuitive feel like i'm on the landscape i'm reading the person i'm reading the land and reading the animals and then to reduce that and put it into words i'm like no and like it, that that part was really challenging it's like this needs to be an expansive yeah, because process. words are
0: so flat yeah yeah they're not they're not there's no there's no there's no yeah, there's no 3D. There's no, no depth at all. You can explain it in 10 different ways and you would never know yeah. because somebody's going to be somewhere in the UK or somewhere mm-hmm. in Italy looking at a screen and think or her screen and think, what does this mean? Yeah.
1: yeah. And so that was the fun of it. Like, how do we, how do we make it as simple as possible without making it, without dumbing it down? But also, you know, measures like what does soil smell like and how would you, even be able to rate that on a scale. It's quite simple to do that. And, and what's really interesting, they did a study in California and they got a large number of people to smell soil that ranged from good to bad. And didn't matter if you were a child or if you were academic or if you had never gardened in your life or you're a master gardener, people could rate soil from bad to good across the board. We have an inbuilt sense of what good soil should smell like, um, and
0: that's fascinating.
1: What's really cool is so geosmin, which is the odor of the earth, what you smell on a hot summer day. If there's a shower of rain, that smell, we can smell that at 200,000 times the concentration of what a shark can smell a drop of blood in an Olympic swimming pool. Like, how wild is that? So we are tuned into soil, I believe, because it's where we come from. It's the mother. It's the source of life on the planet. It's the reason that we're here and, and we can smell it, which I just think is extraordinary. So-, so is
0: smell one of the 10 indicators? Yes. Or not? It is. Okay.
2: It's not one of the 10. Oh, I it's not one of the 10. It's on the, is, it's on the region
0: platform. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's confused. interesting yeah, it's like how, how, because the smelling part, I was going to say because you at the beginning you dig a hole and you look and I was almost going to say you smell, you smell. But luckily it came yeah. up now. Like Smelling is, is, is a very powerful sensor and apparently – we're innate to to really understand what's better soil and and not. So we that's that's it's very encouraging that even after 120 years of very chemical input agriculture, we're still able to do that. We might have lost mm-hmm. some taste bud or have to reset our tasting yeah. system a bit, but the smelling we'll recover part of the from COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a good thing. Yeah, that's a very interesting one as well. So uh. to dumb that down, dumb that down, quote unquote. Obviously, you said it was fun and challenging. And then did you also see it as, um, as almost a threat for your, your coaches and you as well? Like if suddenly the technology, oh, the app would fix everything, have you ever, so did great. that ever pop up or have you had discussions with yourself or among your organization in with that?
1: Oh, it's so funny. I did a industry brainstorming session about this in 2006 um, in New Zealand. And, and people have said to me, why would you coach coaches? They're going to take your job they're going to take away business that's leading to you. Why why would you do that? Or why would you write it down in a book? If any of those thoughts are popping up for people about competition, about scarcity, you are no longer regenerative. You just jumped back into the old paradigm of the old model of business and competition and threats and, and all of that. So a huge part of Really being regenerative is shifting those contexts. There is no such thing as scarcity and competition in this world. And you can see the massive expansion of regenerative agriculture right now. We need more people understanding and doing this work deeply. And I want to put it in every single person's hands. And actually, if I can make myself... Defunct. I'm just going to go and live in the mountains and ride my horse and I'll be very happy doing that. (laughs) Like, I'll be done. I'm like, oh, good. My work is done. You'll be fine. Yeah. (laughs) I'll find something else to irritate people with. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah. And it's that ability to pivot or be resilient is what we need to be building in people like how do we respond if someone else starts to offer something that you're doing and and might take your market share it's like well then you're not offering something truly unique and continually learning and expanding yourself
0: and do you feel like sort of this two-step approach maybe there are multiple steps but this this approach and I, i say you but depending on who wants to take this question of triggering obviously the indicators and, and starting with that and then with the questions triggering this this curiosity mind or this beginner's mind or this this regenerative think is that enough to or have you seen that already now or is that what what you're thinking there enough to trigger that mindset and to, mm-hmm. to because you mentioned on the website specifically we want to trigger a regenerative mindset and to to farm regeneratively we need much more than different indicators and and different practices we we need to start like we said now actually to to work in a in a in an economic system regenerative economic system we need to switch mindset quite strongly do you see that this is triggering people to do that have you do you have examples since january it's very short we're at the end of april now 2022 do you have any interesting stories there is it too early there is it what do you what do you see what do you feel any any case studies that that come to mind or is this too early and we need to come back in in a year or so
2: yeah. I mean, I think that to me, that's like, that is the question. It's the most massive question possible. And to me, this is just the very beginning. Um, and it's just a small part of the regenerative mindset change. So I would never kind of want to to assume that the app was going to change someone's whole life. I mean, we're talking about a whole life change here in my mind. It's not just, um, you know, building soil health. It's like, as Nicole said about the Create course, like people are going on this course and it's like literally, you know, unearthing yourself as well as this regenerative transition. So I think, you know, the app is a small part of that. And where I think is interesting is that for many people, this transitioning or the soil health learning and investigation and the biodiversity learning and investigation is actually an amazing place to start. Um, and, And I've seen that time and time again. Is people start down the path, like probably, you know, myself included in many ways, you start in a direction and it, it unfurls this world of possibility where actually what's happening below the ground in the soil is all of these connections and all of this like magic in inverted commas that we mm-hmm. haven't been tapping into You know, it's this, it's the flourishing. It's that abundance that is the opposite of the scarcity that is the opposite of the competition. It's all about the collaboration. And once you start to see that working below ground, I think you do, you know, and suddenly your plants are just like going wild. Like these cover crops are just like so bountiful. It does start to have people move in this direction of like, oh, wow. Okay. Who, like, it just starts to open up a crack of what's possible. And so I think- that would be, yeah, to me, mm. that is the regenerative transition. And I think that's yes. what we're all aiming for. I don't
1: know. Yeah. And and for me, it's been really interesting to be training people that have already been teaching mindset, have already been teaching regenerative agriculture. And for them to say, I teach this and I never shifted my own mindset. I'm like, Oh, mind blowing. You know, that, that piece is that, Really that deep, deep connection into, yeah, shifting how everything in the world occurs to you. And I, I don't think any app is ever going to be able to do that. But part of what, um, we're seeing is this arising of groups that are mentoring each other that, uh, we're seeing pharma hubs forming where people are, I guess, troubleshooting in their own, con- you know, in their own context, in their own area and starting to ask deeper and deeper and deeper why questions and I think that's the mycelial learning network that's what we're seeing shifting across the planet so it's not an app or an academic or somebody else that's got the answer but what's cool about this the regen platform is that it just provides a guidance and a platform and a a, a structure to what can seem very overwhelming and especially if you're working with um, a whole lot of people that are all very new to this Um, let's not you know fall back or lose confidence you know that that's kind of the piece of just supporting confidence to know that we we are moving forward and you know thinking back to this collaborative piece um if we don't collaborate we're in some serious trouble right now and you know climate change is not being driven by carbon in my mind climate that's not a climate change issue we're going to grow more plants probably with a whole lot of carbon. The issue is that we have totally degraded ecosystems that have destroyed small and large water cycles and are affecting climate dramatically. And it takes, you know, a hundred thousand hectare parcels to get together that we can actually modify or geoengineer climate. So it's, it's taking a collaborative approach to we need to be managing land all of us together to deal with some of these hugely complex issues and that we have degraded ecosystem services across the planet so i, I could go on and on i shall stop
0: <laughs> and no no it's fascinating and do you enable that mycelium to grow as well like between mm-hmm. farms you say you you allow farmers to look at each other look at each other not the right word to compare to yeah. others is it anonymized is that like oh i would love to connect with this farmer with this type of soil on the same climate, because he or she might be nearby or not nearby, but nearby mentally, because we're farming the same type of but he might be, or she might be on the other side of the world, which is great because I can WhatsApp or whatever technology I use. Like, How do you enable, if you are, or you're thinking about it, that mycelium to, to start connecting and then the, the carbon, the sugars, the nutrients, the vitamins, etc., to to start flowing between the two nodes? If the metaphor nice. works here.
2: Yeah, that worked. <laughs> um, um, so, the way, well, we are actually seeing some of those kind of non localized but mindset based groups forming. So, for example, across the UK, um, Pastor for Life, have uh, got a group of farmers all working, you know, in the same way, uh, using the Regen platform, um, connected by WhatsApp or, you know, wh- the, uh, Whatever forums. works, yeah. yeah. Yeah, whatever works. Um, and, and then they are working together to, um, to do the different monitoring and then come back and coming back to compare um, and, and shift things together. It, you know, working together like that is amazingly powerful. Um, so the app absolutely can help you do that. Um, we do have group setups or organizational setups so that you can have lots of different farms on the same setup. Um, and then we do also have um, its not actually, something in the pipeline, which is specifically for um, farmer groups who want to be sharing all of, all of their data pretty much, um, because the app assumes that farmers don't want to share much of their data. Um, It assumes that every farmer owns all their data and that that's very much theirs and we're we're not here to compromise that in any way. Um, And so you can, when I said you can compare, you can only see like, am I in the bottom 25% or the top 50%, you know, am I top of every farmer who has my soil type and climate? But beyond that, you can't actually tell much more, anything more. Um, So... For smaller groups of farmers who do actually want to share much more data than that, um, we do have a uh, a farmer group comparison tool um, that's in the works. Um, And yeah, that will make it so that you can like literally compare from the field that we visited last week as a group, you know, oh, look, uh, their earthworm count is this, their uh, riser sheets are that. Um, How does that compare to my field that I've managed differently? Maybe I could try managing in that way. So for me, it's always about this physical digital um, combination. Mm -hmm. How can we combine those like groups that are in real life going to visit each other's farms with those uh, on farm observations that they're making potentially individually and then combining all of that to learn from it and discuss together? Okay, well, how might we do things differently? Or maybe I could do like Fiona did on her field or whatever that is.
0: And the fact that you assume that farmers don't want to share that data, is there a way, like maybe they do, or there is a way to to trigger that partially anonymized or obviously opt-in. I mean, we're not going to share any data that doesn't want to be shared, but there's an enormously interesting trigger there to, to see if you're in the top knot or to see just to to connect over these dashboards and to start, obviously, <laughs> for sure, people are screenshotting it and sharing it in WhatsApp, like, look what happened here, etc. like to encourage that more because then we get to to real connections Then it is about something is that, um, not only in small groups that already know each other, but also among others, obviously, always looking at, at privacy and, and data um, um, ownership. What, what are your thoughts there? I mean, this is super, super fresh. We're four months in, but still.
2: I don't know, Nicole, do you have any thoughts on that? Well,
1: part of what I'm seeing is that people that have been involved in regenerative ag for a while are more savvy about the value of data, at least I hope so. And what we're seeing is that data is becoming one of the most valuable commodities on the planet, which is why we teamed up with Abby and um, the Soil Mentor, because that data isn't being mined. It's not being used to make decisions that, that take that out of people's hands. I know that some of the biggest companies in the world right now are looking at how do you make money off the agricultural landscape and that totally subjugates or goes around producers. And so I think there's a concern about if I put all my data out there, someone's going to take that and they're going to potentially use it for evil. Um, but, you know, that that we've got to stop farming the farmers right? We've got to start acknowledging the contribution that they're doing or acknowledging the fact that they are the builders of infrastructure on the planet. They are the conservatives. And what's been happening forever is just rape and pillage, take every single cent off those producers. And that's why we have landscapes so dysfunctional is it's very hard to um, think outside the box when you're under so much stress from debt, under so much stress from legislation, and all these pressures on producers. And so I really feel that they have the very strong right to keep that data to themselves. And what I'm seeing is um, group hubs. So the, the hubs are sharing that information, but it's not out there in the public domain space. And maybe that'll change. I mean, maybe the whole world will actually go through this paradigm shift that I hope they will, and it becomes, yeah, it becomes something that benefits the producers.
0: Yeah, because you yeah. could argue that this data is is of all of us, and and just like in some countries like Norway, your your tax data is public, and in some other, I mean, it really depends how you how you frame that, or how how we yeah if we go through that that of course not to be mined, and not to be sold to X Y Z, but should we all know what's happening in our landscapes? And I'm saying our as the full planet. Like, is that yeah. or should it really be because I happen to be lucky enough to own this land, which we can ask a lot of questions about, like, then I should also be owner of that data. Like, yeah, I don't know. Is, well, that, is that true or should we go through a transition to or an evolution to, to question that as well?
2: Yeah, I have like a concrete example that really solidified my thinking on this which was that early days, I learned that every farmer in the UK has to pay a a tariff essentially on all of their wheat that they sell, every bushel or oats. Um, And that goes to a centralized organization in the UK, a farming organization. And then that organization takes all of the data from all of those bushels sold, puts it all together and makes it open source and available. But when you really look at who benefits from that data it is not the farmers. The farmers are paying for that data to be dealt with and collected, but the people who benefit are the traders essentially, or the investors, or the huge, you know, I know people who create the software that draws on all of that data around the world, puts it together and then sells it as like trading insider, you know, trading information. And they make a heck of a lot of money off of it. I tell you, it's amazing. (laughs) Who knew? Um, So for me, What I learned from that was like, okay, I get it. That data is valuable. It's not necessarily compromising the farmer's integrity in the sense that it's not like location based and it's not saying this farmer does this, but it's valuable data in the aggregate for someone somewhere. And so if this data is going to be valuable in the aggregate, then for me, I think the farmer should be able to opt in and they should get paid for it, or they should have some sort of financial remuneration for the fact that they helped collect that data um, and that it's providing value elsewhere in this supply chain. So, So that's the position that we've taken, which is that it is the farmer's data. If they want to, you know, if somehow we come up with some agreement with someone and we're going to do an aggregate data share or we would like to then that will be the farmer's choice whether they want to participate in that and my hope would be that there would be a a way of you know passing or i would make sure that there's a way of compensating throughout back to the farm gate essentially
0: and hearing all of this what would you say like imagine again we're we're in a theater or doing this live and the room is full of of let's say um, people that consider themselves smart investors that are hearing this, like, we love the technology approach. Obviously, agriculture landscapes have to transition. And um, I've asked this question already to Abby, so I'm going to ask it to Nicole. Like, what would you tell, obviously, without giving investment advice, which is not what we're doing here, but what would you tell them to look at the moment they walk out of the theater and, and they are, of course, super inspired? They're going to read the book or they already did. They're going to look at a lot of documentaries. They're going to visit some farms. But then what? Where should they start, literally and or not literally, digging deeper? Where what are pieces of this regenerative transition that you're so deep into that really could use some, let's um, say, investor energy or resources or places where where? And then I'm going to ask a question where you would put money to work. But first of all, let's let's address the audience. Okay, what what should they do the moment they walk out of this this theater?
1: For me, I think it's very interesting in terms of. I think as human beings, we're attracted to the big and the shiny and the maybe the technology and the oh look what I made, um, look what I'm doing. And where we really need to be focused in on is how do we really empower people? How do we really make a difference? You don't, uh, you know, investing in education, investing in training people to think to be able to be this creative space. It's not as sexy, but that's what's truly going to make an impact in the world because that one person that you've now empowered and they're out in the world, you don't know what the impact of that person could be and it could be absolutely massive. I mean, I think just uh, me as a, as a as one person, I speak to potentially over 10,000 people in a year. I'm working with over 24 million acres with with, um, behavior change programs. That's what we need to be investing in is not me, although you can, that would be great, but investing in those, those people that are really shifting the context, that are really shifting the paradigms. And perhaps that starts with educational centers. Um, but what I see, like right now, there's the carbon smart one billion dollars that the American government is putting out. And what they're looking for is, is products and practices. That is not going to make the difference. If you just invest in a practice, you can make that practice degenerative in a heartbeat that the practice is guided by our philosophy and our principles. We need to be working on those higher philosophies so that it becomes, um, abhorrent to come out and use Paraquat and 2,4-D and other chemicals to terminate a cover crop. And you go, oh, look, I grew a cover crop. I'm regenerative. You know, that's that's the piece that's really got to shift. So I think for investors to be looking at where are the change agents and how do we get under and make a difference with them because they're the ones making the difference on the ground. And sorry, that's not very and, sexy
0: and at all. To, <laughs> no, no. It, it, and then let's flip the question to you. So let's say you're an investor and I mean, you knew this question was coming, but you you have a billion dollars to to put to work. And I'm not looking for exact dollar amounts. I'm not looking for. I'm looking for what would you prioritize? How would you uh, put that money to work? It's as an investment. Definitely, there could be some grants here and there, but pre- predominantly to put it to work. And at some point, it should come back. Ideally, um, mm-hmm. what would you what would you approach first? What would you do first um, tomorrow morning if you put on your investor investor hat?
1: I think I would really like to invest in some large-scale projects that really demonstrate how we can alter climate, you know, so we're looking at that 100,000 hectare blocks where we can really demonstrate how does this affect downstream, how is this affecting everybody else, so, um, yeah, and then the education piece, so... There are more and more regenerative ag centers being set up. What I'd like to see, and it's the same with the NRCS here in the U.S., I want to see them being trained in the mindset piece. So what does it take to get some of these um, schools of thought into the people that are already on the ground? There's 140,000 people working for the NRCS. Uh, if if they shifted their context and their mindset, whoa, you know, like what would be p- possible just here in the U.S.? Um, so, yeah, that's where I would like to be investing and, and you're
0: mentioning a hundred thousand because it's a nice, big number or because there's a, a thought behind it. Like that's the there's, minimum we need to hit to, to, the to hit that's the climate. The,
1: exactly. That's the minimum we need to hit to see this, um, engineering of climate. I hate that word engineering. I need a new word. Um, that to see this differential start to happen, see cloud formation, see um, volatile organic compounds, to see that that whole surface start to to raise water um, and and to change climate, so yeah, there's some pretty good research to show that's the minimum that you need to be able to start influencing downwind.
0: And how would you approach that then with with a billion dollars? Like I, I'm imagining from a non-regenerative mindset, you wouldn't buy up all the land. And like, nope. well, how would you how would you do it? And and in case, where would you start? Do you have an ideal landscape in in mind for 100,000 hectares? We're talking about or acres. It's an important
1: hectares. Question. Sorry, hectares. Um, hectares. It would have to be absolutely collaborative. It would have to involve justice and equity and indigenous people in this space. So looking at what what does it look like to restore these ecosystems? And there's so many partners out there right now that are asking the same question to develop a collaborative model. So no, this wouldn't be, oh, all this land is owned by some guy who flies to Mars, you know, that's not what we're interested in doing. It's not about the ownership of that land, but the collaboration. And, you know, we've seen some great projects in New Mexico and in China and um, Saudi Arabia. There's projects that are starting to, to do this, um, but definitely ha- it has to involve entire communities and have community buy-in. Um, and so we're seeing some interesting stuff here where I am in Big Timber in Montana is that um, – just through the actions of one producer, we're seeing 50% of the land area in a 10-mile radius changing their management practices and um, moving towards adaptive grazing management. And we're seeing that resilience now to drought. So last year we had a major drought all through most of the West. Um, and to come here and still see, you know, you've got knee to thigh high green grass and the ranch is saying this is not a drought issue this is a management issue and to see that looking over the fence people are, are buying in into that and they are the ones that will be directly remunerated but sometimes there's a fear that I said like debt can be a real barrier the banks the accountants can be real barriers like I'm interested in how do we how do we pull down some of those barriers that's reducing uptake and so you could use community scale projects to look at what are the barriers to you to uptaking this? And maybe it requires some financial investment. So the the carbon project that started here, producers are being paid for their carbon, but they're not doing it for the carbon. And you ask all of them, they're all talking about ecosystem services, downstream effects, biodiversity. You know, they're really brought into the whole thing, but that money enabled them to put in more infrastructure, to put in start. more water.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And So we take away your fund, unfortunately, but (laughs) you do have magic power to change one thing, to change one thing overnight. And and I have a lot of people that say, yeah, I'm going to do two, uh, which is sort of okay, but let's try to keep it to one. Like, what would you change? It could be global consciousness, could be get rid of subsidies, could be anything in in food and uh, Mm ag in this case, obviously, but also even outside that, like, what would you do if you had literally a magic wand to change something overnight?
1: Those things would be awesome. Um, and I think teaching primary school children ecological principles to start some of this thinking, creative thinking, uh, to change the whole schooling system so that one plus one doesn't equal two. You know, what what is one plus one? Well, if it's a, a buck goat and a nanny goat, that could be four. You know, like how do we start to create people that can think outside the box, because those are the ones that are going to really be able to deal with a world that we don't know what it's going to look like, you know, in our lifetime. The uncertainty is um, we want adaptive thinkers, right?
0: And I've asked this one already to to Abby, but I don't really remember what you said, actually. Do you, you might've changed it actually three years down the line. If you could change one thing now with all the experience you have three years further, what would you change? What would you, address or not addressed what would you use that that want for
2: yeah it's interesting i think it's very reflective maybe of, of just some of the more recent experiences i've had but there is something about getting coaching or therapy or something for everyone yeah. <laughs> um, because that feels like if people it it is so um there's so much healing that needs to be done and that's both of the land, these degraded landscapes, but they're very reflective or like, you know, how we are is so reflected in what we see all around us. Um, and so it, it is very reflective of the healing that's needed for every one of us human beings on the planet. Um, and so, yeah, what does that look like? And how can that be part of what this journey is? Um, mm-hmm. And I do feel like, you know, as Nicole you so often are always talking about mindset it is like it's what's in our heads and if we can interact with that and and heal um, that would be an amazing place to start.
1: I, if I can add um, I was just at the conference on world affairs in Boulder Colorado thousands of people at that event um, 120 speakers and you know speakers that are on you know contributing to the IPCC report uh, people talking about justice and equity um, really just you know big topics like what's going to happen with migration and food quality and indigenous rights and what was absolutely fascinating is at the end of every single panel that I watched when people were asked what do we need to do all of them said connect with your heart what do you need, you know, do the work here first, because then we're in a position, we're not going to be the wounded healers trying to heal the world. We're not going to be those with anger and fear and rage inside of ourselves trying to create peace. Um, and it was amazing to me that it was scientists saying this, it was activists saying it, it was um, philosophers, everybody had the same message. And I'm like, holy Toledo, this paradigm is shifting so fast. We have no idea. And and that really is where the work needs to start is is with ourselves. Um, and the people around us and certainly you know families and and, and the whole piece but that's the piece i'm most excited about
0: i don't think there's a better way to end this one i have a lot of other questions but i want to be conscious of your time as well and i hope it's not the last time i have you both or individually on on the podcast so we can dig deeper and deeper and of course following your your amazing work so i want to thank you so much for coming back abby and for coming for on the podcast for the first time nicole yes Thank you. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links we discussed in this episode, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculturecom forward slash posts. If you liked this episode, why not share it with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? That really helps. Thanks again and see you next time.